Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into Clojure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about Clojure documentation with Martin Klepsch, the creator of CLJDoc. Welcome to the show, Martin. Hello, Daniel. Nice to be around. Yeah. Haven't talked to you in a while and uh, happy to be on the show. Yes, it's great to have you on. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about what is CLJDoc? CLJDoc is a documentation platform and website for the Clojure ecosystem. Um, which means you can use it to view documentation for all Clojure libraries and Clojure script libraries as well online. Great. And so I think that the, the key part of that description that makes this really interesting is the word all. So CLJ doc you know, can build documentation for basically all of the Clojure libraries in the, in the community, not just sort of like a, a manual tool that happens automatically. So that's the thing I, yeah. I think is, is really, really interesting about it. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> and so what's the story behind the name? It's a bit of a funny one. I actually, like, when I when I started working on this, I never, it was more of an experiment, and I wasn't sure, like, if it would actually work. And I, you know, you have to create a directory for code, and I just named it CLJ Doc because that's kind of the obvious name. <laughs> but then I was like, yeah, I can never name this thing CLJ Doc. Like, this is the most horrible name ever. I actually spoke to a designer a while ago and he was like, yeah, the first thing I would do is change the name. <laughs> and so, yeah, I wanted to do that, but uh, somehow uh, I didn't quite manage to. Uh, and I also am at a lack of better names. So I guess we're stuck with that name. Yeah. And you've printed stickers now. So yeah, I guess it's official. Like I, yeah, no way, no way out of that anymore. <laughs> Uh, what were kind of the influences for you on CLJDoc? Where did you kind of get the inspiration from? Yeah. So I think the major influences were coming out of other languages, uh, notably Elixir, Rust, uh, Go, and also Dart to some extent. All of these languages have like a, a sort of centralized documentation hub. So you can go to one website, you enter the name of a library or you search libraries, and then you get to the documentation for that library. And um, I thought that was very cool and uh, a very useful contribution to the ecosystem to just provide documentation for libraries without the library authors having to do something for the documentation to be on there. So the primary uh, influences, you could say, is, is Hexdocs.pm and Docs.rs were the ones I was uh, initially aware of. And then I discovered more as I worked on this. But those were really what sort of nudged me to explore this more. Yeah, those are you know, pretty useful tools in those spaces. I've I've seen the the Go one, yeah, GoDoc. I think it might be uh, occasionally when I'm hunting around for stuff. So, what were kind of the goals goals of CLD Doc? What were you trying to achieve by creating this brand new project? First of all, it was more of an experiment, or in the beginning, it was more of an experiment. As I mentioned, I was just curious if you could even do it because uh, Clojure is like a very dynamic language, and the other languages I just mentioned. Uh, are not so dynamic. And so building documentation for um, all libraries uh, is, is much, easier when, much easier when you have static analysis. And so initially it was more of an experiment Then I noticed, oh, it would actually be possible. And then the goals kind of um, are that I believe documentation is a huge factor to make any open source library project, whatever, successful. And in a way, you could say the value of the ecosystem of a programming language is defined by the 
individual success of the components of that ecosystem, right? My hope is that by by making it easier to create good documentation, uh, we sort of improve the usability of all closure open source software and thus also improve the closure and closure script ecosystem. In a way, you could also say that uh, documentation is uh, what makes simple easy, <laughs> which uh, I think is a good way to to think about stuff, especially in our community. And um, yeah, I already slightly touched on that, but one one important aspect I thought was like people are really you know busy with all of the things, and um, the moment you require someone to do something, only one out of 10 people is going to do it. And that's probably optimistic. And so it was really important to me that the benefits that CLJDoc would deliver to the closure community would work without anyone sort of opting into that or uh, explicitly doing like this and that step uh, before it could work. I think that's that's kind of it. Yeah. So what is CLJDoc uh, sort of concretely? What's what's the architecture? How does it work? Sort of what's what are the, the, the major pieces? Of it. Yeah. So I, I just mentioned that the static and dynamic stuff is, is a bit of a tricky one for, for closure, right? And so initially I, I looked into approaches how, how this could be done because you need some sort of sandboxing, right? I can't just like run code or load the code for any closure library on some server. <laughs> That's probably not going to end well. And so I came up with this very elaborate hack, which is to load those libraries in a circle CI build <laughs> and export the information that we get from analyzing those libraries as Eden data. And so the server would, or there, there is a server component, which, which obviously starts this circle CI job. And then once this job is done, uh, it, it retrieves some data from that job as a build artifact, which describes the API of the library that was just analyzed. Um, and so we've been running like 7,000 uh, CircleCI jobs to build closure documentation. Um, and I think CircleCI is very happy about that. Okay. They, they, they're aware of what you're doing. They're, they're aware. They're aware. I sent them an email once because they had this bug where it would say you're like very close to your quota. Mm-hmm. But actually that message doesn't apply if everything is open source, which it is. So it's all good. Uh, and they, they just hang kind of assured me. Also some friends I have. The work at CircleCI were uh, very entertained uh, by my <laughs> <laughs> approach. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. And then the rest is more or less like a, a basic closure backend kind of thing. Uh, it uses SQLite, which is very lovely, which you're also using for closures, right? And uh, yeah. then hiccup, yeah. hiccup and stuff for rendering. But it's like all, it's a fairly basic thing, pedestal for HTTP and sort of middleware interceptor stuff. And the analysis of the code, uh, what, are you, what are you doing there? Are you basing off something else or did you write that from scratch? Yeah. So initially I, I just used uh, Codox, which has this kind of clever architecture where it has the readers, readers and writers and you can pass identity as a writer and then you just get the data. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm doing. But uh for a few months now, I've been running a fork of Codox that has some additional modifications that were necessary for CLJDoc. And specifically, uh, most of them were around making the output identical for Closure and ClojureScript. Okay. 
So CLJDoc supports Clojure and ClojureScript and uh, highlights when there's differences between the two, right? And so in some cases, there were just like tiny things that like in reality were actually identical, but the output was just not the same, you know? Sure. And so I had to make a few tweaks here and there. I'm still looking to to contribute that back to Codox, uh, but I haven't had the time uh, to do that, which is a shame. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a useful tool. Yeah, it's great. Codex is fantastic. Yeah. What else is in the, the closure documentation space for tooling? Well, I mean, there there is a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. Um, so there is Codex, which is, I guess, the, the most popular one. Um, and then there's also Marginalia, which is like an entirely different approach, but also very interesting, more like literate programming, uh, where you see the code and comments that are part of the code side by side. And then there's also like a lot of stuff that focuses on Clojure Core. And so that's also great, obviously. But I really think that the main value or or where there's the most potential is sort of in the community ecosystem around Clojure. And so I, I wanted to build something that would, would sort of support that uh, instead of the, the core language. Yeah. So... CLJ Doc, I guess it's a documentation platform. It sort of seems like it's it's a fairly comprehensive suite of things for documentation and stuff's growing all the time. We can talk about examples in a little bit, but are there any projects that you've seen that have sort of really taken what CLJ Doc provides and are sort of a really good example of what you can do with it? I think, first of all, uh, it's it's important that, or important to point out that sort of CLJ Doc works without anyone doing anything. Uh, we just talked about this before, but I, I just want to stress that. And what people can do in addition to that, what's already been already been done automatically, is customize what articles are displayed. And articles are stuff like your README or your changelog, but they can also be additional documentation describing varying concepts from your library or how to do X or how to do Z, that kind of stuff. And so some projects that are really, uh, I think, on a leading that are Zprint, NREPL, and uh, Reagent are some I can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, NREPL actually has a bit of, um, they've done a bit more work than what's currently on the CLJ doc version because they didn't cut a new release yet. Um, so the docs haven't been updated yet. But yeah, those libraries all uh, show they're like have good API documentation and also make use of this additional article features where they can integrate uh, documentation that goes sort of beyond the API of the library. Nice. One thing I noticed, which seems like a really useful thing for people to do, is that CRD Doc exposes the like a hierarchy of namespaces and shows you the the namespace doc strings if there are any on the different namespaces. And I've noticed sort of now that I now that I see that, uh, when there's stuff missing, I think, oh, you know, it would be nice if there was actually an explanation of what, you know, these instead of it just being like, you know, mylib.http, like, you know, explain what's in here, what's the purpose of this this namespace. Uh, so I think that could be an influence on people, hopefully. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh being an influence in people is is part of part of the goal uh, as well. 
like giving them a, an incentive in a way to improve their documentation. Uh, actually, also this this thing you're mentioning, the the list of namespaces and the according namespace doc strings. I'll have to give, give credit uh, to Codex for that, which is uh, like something I I saw Codex does, and I just liberally took over. <laughs> uh, so. Can you talk a little bit about doc string formatting? Because this and maybe the the conventions or lack thereof in in the closure community. Sure. So Bojidar already talked about this at Trojutra, uh, I think two years ago, like 2017, and complained that there is uh, no no standard around that, and there should be a standard for that. And I think what's common these days is that people use Markdown. And that's also something that's supported by Codox, but it's not really the standard. You know, not people are not aware, and not not everyone is aware they can do that. And so the route I chose with uh, CLJ doc is just to interpret everything as Markdown. And so, in a way that it maybe even hurts if people, you know, don't format their stuff in Markdown, so that they become aware that this is possible. Because I think. Doc strings formatted in Markdown can be really nice for code snippets and all that kind of stuff. There's actually one function that I also mentioned in my Klojutra talk earlier this year uh, in Kichma toolbox. And the namespace, uh, the the function doc string for for a function uh, in that library is like two pages long, <laughs> and it has multiple code snippets. And you know, it's like it's longer than the README of many projects I've seen. So yeah, I think I think uh, in that to get back to doc string formatting, like I think um, my, my point is like taking a stance that doc strings should be marked down, and by providing this platform and by sort of building documentation for everyone, maybe like pushing people in a direction where it becomes like a pseudo standard, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so, getting into the weeds of that, how do you handle sort of doc string indentation? Because generally, most closure editors sort of keep the lines. You know, when you do a the new line, it doesn't sort of start all the way at the at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning of the line. It's, um, but then Markdown is sort of indentation sensitive. So, yeah, how does that work? There's a simple pre-processing function. Something I also took from Codex. Codex, Codex really had a great impact on this project, you can tell. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a function and it just checks if there's like spaces in the beginning. And yeah, it, it kind of handles that. I actually I actually never looked into this particular problem uh, because it was just solved. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are some other features uh, of COD Doc that uh, you'd like to be building in the future? So there there's actually a lot of stuff that I'd like to build. <laughs> I think one one thing that's going to be very useful and very impactful uh, is like a search and quick switching ability. So there's already this thing where you can hit command K from Slack where you switch the channels. Yep. Um, and so there's something similar in CLG doc where you can hit uh, command K and then uh, you can switch between libraries um, and that kind of stuff. And so I would really like to extend that to be some sort of universal interface to find stuff on CLJ doc. So I imagine if you bring it up, it's initially scoped to the project you're currently in, and you can use it to search for namespaces and functions and articles, that kind of stuff. And then if you hit backspace, you sort of go back into the global scope and you can search for different projects. 
And that I think would be like a huge boost to sort of navigating that documentation. Uh, because I think search is very, just a very good interface in many, in many situations. Besides that, there's also a lot of interest in a spec integration. So that's something that I can imagine to be very interesting. It opens up some, some interesting situations. So in, in Haskell, there is, uh, no, I, no, I have to remember that name. Hugel. Yeah. Thank you. There's Hugel and Hugel uh, allows you to put in like, some type signatures and gives you a function that matches this type signature. And so uh, with namespace keywords and a global dictionary of namespace keywords and function annotations, I can imagine that we we could build something that's kind of similar to that, which I think would be a first for a dynamic language uh, like Clojure. But also just showing specs, you know, and, and sort of giving people more more uh, context on, on what kind of data they consume and produce is going to be useful. I think Hugo is actually, it's, it's an interesting academic exercise. I'm not sure if it's actually that used in Haskell. I don't know. But I'm also, you know, I, I don't know a thing about Haskell or the Haskell ecosystem. So I probably shouldn't have said that anyways. But yeah. Yeah, I've heard people sort of talk about searching for types and searching things in Hugel and I, I'm not a Hask, you know, I haven't done very much Haskell. I never really understood like what exactly that would mean to <laughs> to like search for types, how that would actually be helpful for you. But I assume it is for some people. Two closure people on a podcast wondering what does it mean to search for types? <laughs> <laughs> the blind leading the blind, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but just, sorry, can you say that again? Oh, I, I was just going to say that also examples are something that I, I looked into recently. Um, but there is an interesting or like it's it's a little tough with examples because I think for examples to really deliver value. So first of all, examples are something that people have to write. Hmm. And um, that's, you know, with CLJ doc being this sort of automatic thing, that's just something, you know, one out of 10 people are going to do. And so working on that is going to be 10% of everything we do, like, like, or let's say every, everything we do that requires someone to, to do something, right, is only going to be as effective as the amount of people that do it. And so if we can do something that doesn't require this kind of opt-in, I imagine it will have a much higher value to the community. And I think for examples in particular, we need something that you know, people need to run those, need to be able to run those examples as part of their tests and that kind of stuff. And I just, you know, that's just like a very, very involved thing. And I would really like to work with other people that have worked on example tooling in the Clojure ecosystem to sort of work that out and find find an approach that can be used for CLJ doc, but also like in other situations, maybe. Mm. Uh, Python has a really cool feature, um, doc tests. Have you seen those? It's uh, examples in the in the documentation string, like or not examples, but like uh, a test in the doc string, right? Yeah, and those are run as part of your tests. So, right, if you change the function or the the method, then the you know you break the the example in that doc test, uh, you'll you'll know about it straight away rather than it going stale and out of date. Yeah, that that could be an option. But uh, yeah, there's there's like there's so many people. Um, I think Zach Zach Oaks 
is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked on Dynadoc. I hope I'm not confusing that. Uh, but yeah, Dynadoc is, is, seems really interesting. Also for the interactivity, which obviously would be great with examples as well. But yeah, I think it's like way more complex and the payoff or the, the, the return on investment is much more unclear than with other features that could be done in like a fraction of the time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of dynamic stuff, have you thought about uh, any sort of closure script? I guess it might tie into examples, but sort of being able to run the code in closure script on a particular page? Yeah. I mean, this kind of also ties into examples, right? Is that yeah. you're aiming at that, right? And um, it's definitely much easier to have examples in ClojureScript than in Clojure, uh, <laughs> just because you don't need a, a backend in a way. Um, and there is fantastic stuff like uh, Clips, which makes this kind of thing really easy. But I think, so this is this site in, uh, in the hypothesis, right? I think that most examples or, or people are familiar with examples because they know them from ClojureDocs.org. And all the functions that are in ClojureDocs.org and have examples are functions that are part of Clojure Core. And what do functions that are part of Clojure Core do? They operate on plain data. And I think in this kind of situation, examples can really, really be very useful. But I think if you talk about libraries, there's often a lot more like sort of context needed or build up or, you know, mm. that kind of stuff that makes examples a little less attractive. But this is sort of how I talk myself out of building examples, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it hasn't just been you working on SEO to doc. Um, I think one of the things that you've done really well, I've been watching, watching the project is that you've kind of cultivated a community around it of other people who you've let sort of work on it and given them merge access and, and stuff. How have you sort of thought about that? What's been the, the thinking there? I think for, for any open source project to be sustainable, there needs to be a bunch of people who are sort of working on it, like maintainers, you know, more regularly. And there, but there also needs to be a constant influx. Uh, and I actually was at a conference recently, Sustain OSS in London, which was very interesting, was more like a, a discussion camp, you could say. And somebody said, if you don't have new people joining your project, that means your project is dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, I think it's just really important to uh, to have like a, a sort of dynamic community where people come in and also are sort of free to leave without the project, you know, going down down under. And uh, yeah, so that's really important, uh, I think, in a term and in a sort of sustainability context. But I'm also just, I think curious about how you do that kind of thing so the last job i worked at i was working on a, on a bounty platform kind of thing ish and the idea was to to build a community around the open source projects of a company paid through this bounty stuff and i'm, I'm not not necessarily like a huge fan of bounty based compensation models but this community building aspect was uh, also very present there and it made me made me think more about that, and I just tried to sort of implement some of the ideas I picked up uh, over that time as part of the work I do on CLJ Doc. Uh, and so I tried to be like you know extra welcoming, sort of you could say like going the extra mile towards new contributors. So one thing I always do is is when people open a PR, I ask them if they just want to get it merged or if they want to like you know address feedback. Hmm. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that you know 
so far, nobody has said, I just want to get it merged. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I want that to be okay. Maybe I'm asking in the wrong way, but, you know, I, I, if they say, okay, I don't have time to, you know, address this more, uh, then, you know, somebody else will, will take it over and will address it. And I think uh, that that's kind of a culture I, I, I would like to, to foster around this project. And also just reviewing people's code. So a bunch of people that have contributed are actually somewhat new to Clojure. And I try to like be very, yeah, t- taking my time and reviewing their changes and giving them feedback and telling them how they could do stuff better, even if it's not like a functional component, um, but just sort of helping them improve and getting something out of that process of contributing. And I think, um, well, the, the idea is to make contributing rewarding in a way so they, they get something out of contributing. Yeah. Interestingly, that, that was also one of the first experiences I had contributing to a closure open source library, which was uh, CLJ AWS S3 by James Reeves, uh, Weave Jester. <laughs> yep. Uh, who also wrote Codex. Mm-hmm. And I opened a PR to do something. I, I can't even remember what it was. But he was so uh, thoughtful with his feedback and like explained so much stuff to me. And, you know, I was, I guess I was clueless at the time. And I I really appreciated his patience with me uh, at that moment. Yeah, I laughed because I was just about to bring up my experiences doing pull requests to James Reeves. Yeah. (laughs) Repositories and how, yeah, it's it's a really great experience. Even just watching him work with other people, I, you know, learn stuff from how he, suggest they structure their code and yeah so <laughs> james reeves yeah yeah shout out to james reeves i guess <laughs> no he's a great guy yeah uh so uh these last uh few months just finishing recently um you were sponsored by uh closures together which is an organization i help run um, so can you talk a little about about that sure so yeah i saw closures together when you launched it, I guess. And I think it's a fantastic initiative and something that, I mean, obviously in other communities that already existed and it kind of like, if you think about it, was, you know, due to happen for Clojure as well, I guess. And so with CLJ Doc in, in summer this year, I just uh, quit my last job and then decided to work on CLJ Doc for a bit. And then there was like a new batch uh, of closures together uh, funding. And I thought, well, this would be like a fantastic way to sort of offset my expenses while working on CLJ doc and not doing anything else. And so that has been fantastic. Like it's really given me like three months of time where I could work on CLJ doc. Like I didn't work on it full time. Right. I, 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 I still had a very relaxed summer, I guess, which is great. I should try it. But it was still great to be able to, you know, not feel guilty for not working um, and not, you know, not having this rush. Oh, I need to like, you know, get work again or stuff like that. And just being able to be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to do that for a while now. Um, and so that has been, been a very like peace of mind kind of uh, kind of thing, uh, which I really appreciated. Nice. Yeah. Um, we're very happy to be able to fund Sarah Doc and um you know, extremely impressed with kind of what you're able to achieve both, you know, before we funded you um, and after I always feel slightly awkward about, <laughs> I don't want to like take credit as in like we did it because we didn't do any of the work at all. And then, you know, the idea was there before, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming before and 
after and during the funding that that isn't due to us. So I don't want to <laughs> take credit for that. But yeah, I've been really, really impressed by what Doc has produced. And uh, I see people mentioning it more and more and putting it on their readmes. And there's a little badge that you can add for a project to make it show up there. And yeah, I, I think it's real credit to you. Yeah, thank you very much. And there's a couple of sponsors that we want to sort of mention who've been big supporters of Closures Together. There's uh, Pitch. Pitch is a, a new sponsor, recently joined and also recently founded company. They're building the next generation presentation software for individuals and teams. And they're actually hiring at the moment as well. So if you go to closurestogether.org slash jobs, uh, you can see uh, they've got some jobs open for uh, front-end and back-end closure and closure scripts developers. There's Juxt. Uh, Juxt delivers secure and compliant bespoke software applications and platforms from the world's busiest websites to complex financial systems. Metosin, hope I get that right. Uh, I always <laughs> feel slightly awkward saying saying that name. Uh, they're, they're the first Finnish software house specializing in closure. They arrange annually the biggest North European closure conference called Closure Tray. Adgoji is a media agency. They've built a closure-based real-time bidding platform that buys targeted mobile advertising space from the largest marketplaces in the world. And Funding Circle. Funding Circle connects small businesses who want to borrow with investors who want to lend in the UK, US, Germany, and the Netherlands. Uh, and they use Clojure to build their platform. So big thanks to them and also to everybody else, um, all of the, the company and developer members who uh, have been supporting Clojures together. You know, we, we couldn't have done this without your support yeah they're great you, you should have you should have changed the the medicine description for uh or or swap the klojutra thing uh for a sauna festival uh <laughs> sorry say that but, again just a bit choppy sorry that's a it's maybe a bad joke but they at this conference klojutra they always have like a big sauna gatherings um oh. and that's always a very fun and unique part of that conference uh to experience um and and did you know did you know and and so it was this year in helsinki right and um we were at some so the parties were always at some company's offices and first of all they have very huge like chill areas it seems like there were maybe like 60 to 80 people there or something and there was just enough space for them and everyone and then they have it's a fourth floor fourth floor office and so behind the kitchen, there is another door. As you go through the door, you get into the little like sauna area. <laughs> uh, so they have on the fourth floor in this building in the middle of Helsinki, they have a sauna, uh, which fits like 20 people and showers and, you know, everything, bathrobes and, you know, it, it's like a little spa, which uh, was a little mind blowing to see. Wow. Yeah. Um, you should come next time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd really like to. <laughs> uh, I put uh, a picture of the, the tour of these offices. Um, they were so nice. They were in a, um, in like a design websites uh, magazine. Right. I, I saw that. Yeah. And um, so I said, you know, I, I said, I don't think I've ever seen an office with a built in sauna. And I got a message back from someone in Finland, uh, Mika Koskinen. I hope I'm getting that one yeah. right too. And he said basically every IT company in Finland um, with you know a decent amount of employees um, has, has a sauna in their office. So um. <laughs> he, 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 he could have said, I, I haven't seen an office without one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug or mention or anyone you'd like to thank uh, in closing? 
Oh, sure. Um, so first of all, I'd like to thank uh, all the contributors uh, to CLG Doc. I'm on this podcast now, but it's all of you that sort of contribute to the success of CLG Doc. And um, I hope you get something out of that. So thanks, Saskia, Avishal, Daran, Daniel, that's you, uh, <laughs> and Greg, and all the others. And uh, I also want to thank uh, the Software Freedom Conservancy, uh, which is sort of the backing organization behind uh, Closures Together and uh, Closures as well. And I had the pleasure of meeting, I think, Karen yeah. in London a few weeks ago. Uh, and it was very um, interesting uh, to hear uh, from that side of the organization. And so they're also like, it, it's tough work. And so I just want to say that they, I appreciate their work. Yeah, I agree. And then one thing I want to plug is uh, I'm organizing a conference. Ooh. Yeah, uh, it's going to be in Europe. So it's going to be a long flight for you, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure you'll come, right? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one, not calling you out on the spot like this. I, I'll, I'll just continue talking and you don't have to answer. Uh, <laughs> but it's, so it's, I'm organizing a conference, which is called uh, Heart of Closure with a friend of mine, uh, Arne Brasseur, who you may know as Plexus or the person behind uh, Lambda Island. And um, it's going to be in, in Belgium, which some people find surprising. But if you look at the distance from airports to Brussels all over Europe, then it just makes a lot of sense uh, because... From everywhere in Europe, it basically takes two hours to get to Brussels. Uh, and the conference is 15 minutes from Brussels. So yeah, that's going to be next year, beginning of August. Check it out, heartofclosure.eu. We want to create like a community-focused conference with topics that sort of are about closure, but also about stuff that's sort of more at the fringe, maybe more society-focused and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. Hope to welcome you there. Yeah, uh, I'd love to go. Um, I have to see see how things are going. We've got two young children at home, so uh, oh, right, right, right. Uh, you're taking time off from that is challenging, but uh, yeah. So, are you looking for sponsors at the moment, or how can people sort of follow along with Heart of Closure? Um, yeah, actually, that's thank you for uh, for leading that. Um, yes, we're still looking for sponsors. Uh, <laughs> I'm a first-time conference organizer, as you can sure tell. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're looking for sponsors. So if you're interested in sponsoring a, a community-focused conference that is trying to sort of bring the community together for like an interesting gathering, then get in touch. There is more information on the website, and uh, I can send you more sponsoring-related information as well. Great. Well, thanks so much for you know, everything you do with Sierra Doc and uh, all the other community closure stuff you've been involved in. Uh, I know you've been Closure Bridge, I think, previously, uh, and probably many other things I'm not aware of. Um, uh, just a reminder for people, if you want to sort of plug Closure Doc, uh, probably the best way to do that would be to put a badge. Closure Doc has a, a way to generate badges for your README. Is that, is that right? How do people do that? Um, so there is a, there is a document, actually, that's a good thing to mention as well. So, uh, if you go to cldoc.org, you get to the homepage and there is like a big button documentation for library authors. And, um, basically the first section of that basic setup 
instructs you how to put a badge in your readme um and it's it's basically just putting like a you know you, you've probably put in badges into your readme uh it's not it's not hard you just need to know what the urls are great um and they're described there nice well that is uh this thing i'm going to go make sure all my libraries have those um those badges and yeah thanks very much for uh talking with me and i look forward to seeing what comes in the future yeah very nice. Thank you very much, Daniel. Great. See you later. See you later.